Welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts Chris Noble and Bill Perotzman. In this episode, we focus on expanding consciousness. There are so many ways that music does this, and we explore a few of them, ranging from stonemasonry to levitation and extending to healing and intentional practice and even beyond. As good as our technology is today, can you imagine what the potential for music and sound could be? We'll be talking about all that and much, much more, as always, in these open conversations here on Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness. After the three-part thing on all of that frequency and vibration, uh, I don't know, I, I was journaling and I got into this headspace where I started writing down questions that were just like, well, this is so bogus, Bill, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Well, to define you know? bogus, right? You know? Well, I mean, so it's like, so what's the real, what really does it matter if you're playing at 440 hertz or 432? You know, if, if it's all about just frequencies, frequencies don't have to be in tune with anything. They just have to be specific notes or whatever, tones. So um, if that that doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's curious to me that 400-year-old Tibetan bowls are tuned to 440. Yeah. But... Okay, so what? You know. <laughs> well, I, I I think it's a preference thing. Like the reason I still like to stick to four thirty two is I I love the geometry of four thirty two. Right. You know. Yes. Yes. Like mathematically, it's beautiful. Four plus three plus two equals nine. Nine is that magic number that is always found throughout sacred geometry, and I love yeah. sacred geometry. So for me, that's why I do it. Does it make it better than anybody else? Absolutely not. You know, yeah, it's, it's just my preference. And when you believe that then that adds extra validity and power because of the belief. So if you really believe 440 is the ultimate frequency for things, then are you really wrong? If you really, really believe it? I'd never really, know. you know, before the last 10 years or so, when it started to matter, I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. And I find it so interesting now to wonder, uh, you know, being a classical piano player, I kind of wonder where did the composers uh, or, or what tuning format did the composers who wrote all of that great stuff from Bach right on up to the modern day <clears throat> what did they choose as their sort of timbre of preference because 432 sounds a little bit richer it's a little darker just a little I mean you have to really be in it to know this stuff and work with a lot so I'm wondering if you're like the anything that Chopin wrote in a flat was actually something that sounded more like G in 440 right yeah or if it was an A flat under 432, uh, maybe it sounded more like A. And, know, how, and, and, and how are they measuring that? I, well, they really couldn't back then. Yeah, so how would you, right? Well, they're going by feel. And my my uh, speculation would be they're going by feel, right? What it would have to be, together? right? Yeah. Because I know there are relationships that I can't describe for you that exist in the, in the key of A flat that are different than in the key of B. And I'm just randomly picking a couple of keys. And... I've read too how certain composers chose keys because they felt like they were more um, aligned with the feeling, with the emotions that they wanted to convey in the music. Wow. And that's just choosing a key. That's not knowing that nobody had you know, instruments they could measure what pitches people were tuned to you know, a long time ago. But uh, Stradivari violins uh, sound pretty dang good, right? Yeah. And whatever they're tuned to. Yes. But I'm sure there's some sort of mathematical thing. And, you know, Jacob Collier needs to come on this show. They can ask him. Yes. <laughs> right? Jacob, so are you, Jacob? you, buddy. 
<laughs> microtones. I mean, there's so much richness in music that we lose the moment we lock it in on anything, right? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I can imagine an electronic keyboard that could be randomly retuned mid-performance to to move into microtonal kind of keys or back mm. into a standard tuning or whatever, you know, and just wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of flexibility? Well, I, I'm sure there probably is things in development that can do that nowadays. I know there's a one of my favorite electronic uh, bands that I would say is also one of my favorite psychedelic mushroom bands. Yeah. Uh, Board, Boards of Canada. I believe they're Scottish. They, they uh, got the name Boards of Canada because they like to use a lot of nature samples from the National Film Board of Canada. And um, but regardless, their music really has a profound psychedelic uh feeling for me and i could not tell you why it's a feeling more than anything but i learned one of their techniques that they do with most of their songs is in the mastering process they used uh, a mastering and for those that don't know what mastering is it's kind of like the last process in mixing your music it's the final process that kind of regulates the volume and the you know the the frequencies the equalization everything like that to make it you know professional standard and just to give it that extra umph um, but what they do in their mastering process is they run it through a tape uh, mastering machine. I don't know the terminology. Uh, and they physically will press down on the tape off and on, off and on to bend the pitch just ever so slightly. And they're doing it on analog tape. So they're trying to like, it's almost as if like, let's say, I mean, I know they're tuned to 440, but all their music, the way that they have this very unique sound is they detune a lot of their synths, some a little up, some a little down. So it sounds that perfect balance of just a little off, but not too off. So that's like ugh, hard to hear, but, yeah. but enough that it's like, whoa, something's a little weird and wavy here. And I know whether their ways of doing that is pressing down physically on the tape of the final mastering process. So what's that doing? Well, it's playing with pitch, but from a feeling uh, sense, the, the original frequency they recorded at stays the same, but they're then bending the, um, the final output a little bit which gives it a it gives it a very unique feel and and it has an out it has a, a i guess a an outcome that that comes from that so yeah sure, I mean, yeah you know, it really depends it's more organic and it feels and organic. instead of being like the yeah. perfection that we often get from recording studios where everything exactly is completely audible we talked about i think the was an essay i read it might have been an essay in the honest broker actually uh with uh, what's his name, Joya, Ken Joya, Steve Joya. Anyway, um, the essay was about how the Beatles used that very same kind of tape methodology, but they would use it and slow the entire recording down in the mastering so that it would come out halfway between two known keys. Wow! And then they did it for the same reason. So something that they record, say, in the key of G. They'd slow down the tape just enough so it sounded a little bit like it was between G and G flat. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And and they did it for the same like to make that richness come alive. Wow. So uh, this has been a practice for at least that long. It's probably been around longer, um, as long as we've had some sort of recording devices. Yeah, I know Pink Floyd. Um, at least I think the Wall was they did it at four thirty two, or they did something similar to to bend it down to 432 hertz or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And of course, you know, we can do that with software now. If you've got something in 440, you just change the software and it plays back at 432 or whatever pitch you want. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and it's still different. Like the you know everything's going to sound different depending on how your methodology of creating that outcome and physically manipulating tape will sound different than a, a digital version of that. However, they are pretty accurate and similar these days. But uh, it's it's just curious. It's curious how we on an intuitive level because this is still hard to measure scientifically. But I mean, musicians and artists in general are usually more intuitive just because the right brain, the creative feminine side is unlocked a lot more with artists just because of the nature of their work yeah right? it's part of our craft we have to be literally that way. <laughs> it's your job to unlock your intuition more than anything so um so that the, i think that's why there's more of that play with uh, the feeling of a frequency because they can sense it because yeah. they're more tapped into that yeah i know for people to improvise um and and you could kind of see this in jacob collier's work that the choice of a key is totally intuitive you don't sit around and go okay i'm going to do 12 bar blues in g well i mean you do if you're playing with a band right but if you're yeah. just going to take off and improvise something the tonality or the home key or any of that is like it's 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 not that important compared to the ideas and the feelings that you want to express which often come across without any relationship to modern music theory right yeah or even ancient music theory they just come off that way and i, I know you feel this when you do um like mushroom music chris it's like there's something else that comes into the room. Yes. And it no longer matters whether everybody's in tune, for example, or everybody's playing on the beat because it doesn't exist or any of the other sort of restraints that we normally place around the performance of music, they just disappear. And all that's left is, is you as this channel for whatever the music is that's coming through. Yes. Also, I don't know why this made me think of this, but I remember when I've had moments of uh, severe sleep deprivation um, I get these auditory hallucinations, uh, which are really interesting. Somehow, somehow, I remember when I was coming back from a film shoot um, and returning some equipment, uh, the, <laughs> the guy that I was returning, I hadn't slept in like two days straight. And um, the guy I was talking to, I was just like, hey, so um, what's that music you're playing in the background? He's like, I'm not playing music in the background. And I was, I was, I was hearing music through the fan. There's like a fan in the office. And somehow I was hearing like Britney Spears coming through a fan. <laughs> it wasn't there. You know, he told me, he's like, there's no music playing, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. is, you are hallucinating. That is in your mind. It is in your mind. And I'm like, why am I hearing Britney Spears through a fan? But sometimes I would get these moments where inanimate objects and sounds and nature start to blend in and almost create music when I'm in altered states of consciousness, let's say. Yes. And sometimes running water will start to sound like a, a percussion suite of, of or, or, you know, like weird. It's like it's these altered states of consciousness start to really blend the murky waters of what music and sound are, depending on your way of observing and, and receiving that music yes. or sound. And it yes. really gets uh, quite, quite crazy. Have you played with the bone conducting headphones? I still haven't yet. No, I love the idea of those, though. I want to get a, I mean, th there are pairs that fit in your ears, but there are some that sit on your head, too. And they have speakers that rest on your skull, as well as the ones that are close in by your ears. There's like a bone close to the front of your ear where the, you can pick up vibrations. But I would love to get more in that space because, well, I guess the analogy would be, so oftentimes we listen to music on our devices, right? Yeah. Without it, without a headphone or anything, it's just playing on the phone. And there's so much that you miss because the speakers oh, yeah. in the phone, right, can't 
provide provide that depth. So the difference between putting on over-the-ear headphones and listening to music on your device is for me the same as the difference between using bone conducting headphones to listen to the same music because there's a new level of depth that comes in. And I want to use the word sort of three-dimensional, but that's okay. that doesn't feel like it's enough. You know, because they're already making recordings that you can hear if you've got like headphones. Binaural, you can yeah. hear them in space. You can hear like instruments in front of you, instruments behind you, you know, and you get this this idea that there's depth in the room that you're listening. Mm. But the bone conducting goes beyond that in some way into, I don't know, a fourth dimension. It's some other aspect of music that's spatial, but also uh, deeper, you know. It sounds, it sounds like almost uh, other dimensional, like higher dimensional yeah, yeah. in a way where it's like it's it goes beyond just this third dimensional reality, which, of course, is hard to measure. But it's probably why the English language, we, we hit it. We hit a real cap. <laughs> and try to talk about other dimensional experiences so that's why it's like it's hard for you to find the words right to, to yep. describe i would love to experience this because so what's it doing exactly it's sending frequency into so it's not it's bypassing your ears is it not yeah it bypasses the the, the vibrating membrane in your ears by buzzing essentially right against your bone now wow the vibrating membrane in your ears is going to pick up that vibration too, but it picks it up in a way that is different. You know, I got to try this. this it, it's, really it's really hard to explain. It's you yeah. hear it, you hear it. It's is it clear? Same. Like it's the same. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's brilliantly clear, but it feels different in some way. And it's not like you feel the buzz, like there, you can't feel the things buzzing on your skull, but you hear. <laughs> And it's, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating to me. Uh, they have a, um, there's a, a new amphitheater here in San Diego called The Shell. It's an outdoor amphitheater. And it's remarkable in a number of ways. But one of the ways it's remarkable is that it has the newest sound technology for outdoor sound replication. And I'm not kidding people. If you go there and you listen, you'll know what I mean. You have to be in the space. But the... In the space, anywhere in this, what, four or 5,000 seat outdoor arena is the audio equivalent of being right on stage next to the performer. Oh, my God. The sound wow. is that good. It's not that loud. It's not about a decibel thing. It's about a presence thing. And how the technology is able to do that boggles my mind, right? Wow. And, and then the other thing is it's directional. So if you were 100 feet away, you wouldn't hear much, hmm. but the moment you get into the envelope, it's amazing. It's like it's like having headphones on. Wow, outdoor. That's really cool. And and they're talking. This hmm. is really crazy. So we have another amphitheater that's right under the landing pattern for Lindbergh Field, like I don't know, ten flights an hour over flying <laughs> an outdoor performance space. And back in the day, we used to go there, and they would have concerts and musicals and stuff. And the whole thing would stop while the plane went over. And you can't hear. <laughs> You can't flip and hear a thing, right? So the orchestra, everybody would just hold freeze and then it'd start right up after the plane was That's coming. hilarious. So they're thinking of reopening this place, but they have technology now that can block out the sound of the planes. So in not a, only can it keep the, the envelope of sound in the amphitheater, mm -hmm. but it has a way of like noise canceling the jets going over 300 feet above. Is this an open it's roof? Open air. Open, open air. air. 
yeah, it's open air. How in the hell do they do that? Right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's see this. I, you know, I want to be part of that. So, oh. I mean, it's like both noise-canceling headphones, I suppose. But well, um, Yeah, but they cover your ear. But they cover so, your ear. In this case, right? it's open. This is open, yeah. So like, in what? the open environment, they can create a sonic shell that blocks out all external sound. And only... Okay, where where is this device for my own home and recording? Because I have been I know, in man. so much trouble with my neighbors for my Jeez, whole life. I know. I would I would kill for that technology. That's, that's what's amazing. what's that meme? I was up at three o'clock in the morning. Or, uh, let's see, what is it? Oh yeah, I, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning the other day when this neighbor knocked on my door, all concerned. Fortunately, I was awake playing the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right yeah and i get that at, at three in the afternoon too sometimes so i, oh, I would yeah. love a sonic uh bubble of noise cancellation where i could i could blast Something. my dj sets and my dance music all the things i want to play loud but never can like that would be amazing but dude most of the time these days we're playing keyboards and stuff so how do you let it out i mean i know you have the setup do you often play with actual audio in the room? Well, I try because it's still like my body still needs to feel this music at some yeah, point. Yeah. So what I try to do if I'm being noise conscious, which is 95% of the time, uh, I would say, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, I would do, yeah, 90, 95% of it on, with my headphones. But then at some point, I'm like, I got to test this stuff out. Yeah. I got to listen to it on other speakers. Uh, you know, I got uh, where I am currently uh, some the Bose um, Bluetooth ones that have nice bass. So I'm like, okay, great. Like you said in the beginning, there's a lot of frequencies we miss when we play it through uh, the phones and things like that. So when I'm mixing something, I, I need to know like um, what the heck the low end is going to sound like. So I got to yeah. play it through speakers at some point. Plus I want to know, I want to feel it. You know, I want to dance to it for crying out loud or I want to move to it. So, you know, I have to limit it because I don't have this wicked sound canceling technology <laughs> that would just be. And, and think about this, too. You know, you think about the silent discos, right, where um, yeah. they usually give you these wireless headphones. I've been to a couple. Very cool concept. It's not my favorite, but I love it when you aren't able to obviously blast music. It's better than nothing. And it is kind of it's a unique experience. However, especially with going to a club and dancing and you don't have to like clubs. I'm just being like going somewhere to dance to your favorite music. Your body is feeling all of those frequencies. And that's what I've realized. A lot of what I love about going out somewhere to dance, going to a DJ show or something is because my whole body feels that bass, yeah. feels that music. And that's what makes you want to dance. Is you're like, Oh my God, it's so loud and all encompassing. Like all I can think and feel is the music. Whereas even with headphones, it's, uh, it's just not the same. Not the same. So, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's just not the same. So that's yeah. what I feel in my hands too. The difference between a, an acoustic piano and a keyboard. I, the, the, the touch at the end of your fingers is gone on a keyboard because there's no vibration in it. I mean, the, no vibration that you can feel. There's plenty of vibration in your ears, right? The sound, you're hearing that, right? But the, or even if you're sitting on top of your monitor on stage, but you're not feeling in your fingertips the way you feel it in a real live acoustic piano. Yep. That's buzzing there. Guitarists are so lucky, man, and bass players, they can carry their instrument and feel the whole thing the whole time. And, I know, I know. And but even drummers can feel it, right? But not us. No, I mean, but you usually have to play an electric kit anyway for your drummer because again, noise and all that good stuff. It's uh, that's a tough instrument to keep uh, under wraps with the neighbors. That they they would probably more than anyone need the uh, noise cancellation technology. Oh my gosh! Yeah, tell me about it. And having had five teenagers, 
(laughs) four of whom played instruments. (laughs) Where do you go to practice the trumpet or whatever? You know, it's like, "Eh, it's not, yeah. It's a, it's a fiasco for sure. You know, I think about this, I think about that noise cancellation technology at these uh, amphitheaters you're talking about, or that one specifically. And I'm wondering other applications of that, like, for example, even in a small therapy rooms where you want your clients to be able to let out big yells or just fully express themselves, they could then do that. Usually it's like yell into a pillow, but I've done that. It's not the same. I'll be honest. I want to hear the echo and the acoustics of how much, you know, rage or whatever I'm letting out. It's very therapeutic and cathartic. Um, that would be a really helpful tool for so many different things is to keep the loudness in the room and not outside of the room. So what are you, what do you even think they're doing with that? Cause part of what I'm thinking, like, are they, are they shooting other frequencies that create like a frequency bubble somehow? They must. You know? Like, what are they doing? I feel like it's not physical in the sense of they're building um, yeah, some be. membrane or, so, you know what I mean? Like it's- It's gotta oh. be, um, well, a very fast signal processor, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, th- th- you know, my guess on this is only limited by what I know about noise canceling headphones, which is that they're listening to the environment the whole time and then providing you under them with the equivalent canceling frequency to whatever noise might have happened in the room they're not you know they're they're not physically able to block out the sound they can block out enough of it but the rest they have to mask so some kind of very fast signal processing thing that identifies frequencies that are not part of what the input frequency is and then plays a mask over the top of them to essentially negate the wave wow right yeah Something like that. And, um, I mean, jet noise is, it's not too random. After a while, you'd think you could probably dial it in. There's a couple dozen kinds of airplanes that could fly over. So, you know, it's, for the most part, it's doable. It's not like there's, you know, F-18s landing there. Right? No. Uh, every so often you get a military plane, but it's not the really noisy afterburner kind. I'm sure you so, can figure it out. It's really interesting. Uh, that, that kind of technology just gets my brain going because of the, uh, all the other applications that it could have. True. Um, you know, for so many things. But well, Studying uh, in, in yeah. inner city schools are one of the noisiest places in the world. And the, the science on that is, look, you know, we've, we've researched this and kids just work better when the environment is quieter because it's safer. Yeah. Excessive sound is not a safety producing thing. No. So, I mean, especially if it's sirens and stuff like that, but yeah, you know, that would be such an, there's a guy named, I think his name is Julian. It's not Julian fellows, not Julian Assange, um, <laughs> Julian. He's English though. And he's a knight of the, or, but uh, he's been studying sound suppression, I guess, for a long, long time. Wow. And the science of how to create environments where we can manage sound is a really big part of what he talks about. He's on Ted. I can probably find him and look, look him in, but this whole idea is we've become a noisy world. Yes, we have. You no, know, oh. everybody's got their noise generator or, or more than one. Well, air conditioning units, uh, oh, yeah. ventilation, uh, music that of course everyone's playing all the chit chat, the, the cars, the sewage, the, I mean, I'll just keep naming these things, power generation. Nothing is really quiet. You know, nothing quiet. that we do. And most of our energy is created through explosion and, 
you know, technology, combustion yeah. technology. So it's, it's loud. <laughs> it's everything's loud. Oh my gosh. And you've heard this. I know electric cars now have sound generators. Yeah. So you can actually hear them, which sound and they sound know. like, you know, uh, they sound like Blade Runner <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, Not except for why. the BMW BMW's uh, Roadster, I understand actually has an engine sound. So it sounds like a, a internal combustion engine. You know, I, I, I understand that part because I'm like, I have been by some, I guess, older model electric cars and they're so quiet that it is true. Like you can't always hear them approaching. Yeah, they're kind of scree- so, creepy. Yeah. So it's great for stealth, you know, for military purposes. But uh, yeah, for us civilians, it's, it's it is safer to hear them coming. But then it contributes back to this idea of we are a very noisy, noisy yeah. culture. And I know for myself, like one of the one of the many benefits of getting into nature is it's it's always quieter. I swear to God, even when you're near a loud waterfall, there is such a quiet, like yeah. somehow it's still so much more peaceful than the honking and sirens and the the constant, you know, that, that, that wall of sound you get in any downtown metropolis. It's not the same. It's not the same. And I know not some people same. find it, some people do find it comforting. I have a friend that likes to um, have uh, some kind of forms of different forms of white noise and ambience to fall asleep to. And sometimes he'll actually choose, like downtown dull ambience of a city or oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Air, air conditioning unit fans. So I can, I can get it cause it's also familiar for people, but for myself personally, I, I just don't, I I'll take nature, please. <laughs> yeah. Any day, any day, you know, it's, it's gotten so around us anyway, we have a car alarm that is susceptible to like a Harley Davidson. Oh. So if the right kind of motorcycle goes by our car alarm's going to go off. Wow, it's the vibration. We'll it's the vibration. Off. And uh, there's a couple that live in the neighborhood. You know, they, this always happens in the middle of the night. They never go by in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, you know, it's it's that loud. And the same car does not respond to, like, helicopters flying over. Or, um, you know, other things that you think might trigger it. So, uh, gosh, I didn't even plan to talk about this today, but New York City has this program now where they have listening monitors around the city, and you can get a ticket for excessive noise in your vehicle. What? They listen, and they snap a picture of your license plate, and in the mail, you get a ticket. Because you're too loud. <laughs> in New York City. In New York City, of all places. Like, of a, all you know, places. any place that was not quiet... I mean, I could uh, see that in, you know, like Yosemite Valley or a national park or something sure. like that. You come riding in a chain full of Harleys. They're like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't be riding in the middle of the, you know, the world's oldest glacier carved valley that has resonance that we can hear you all the way back to Sacramento and you know, out to Reno and everything. It's like, guys. That, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> I'm with you on that. But um, so I don't know. I, I guess people are trying. And, you know, I've lived in places where there are noise ordinances. You can't play, you know, anybody can use anything on a road. But the moment that you pull that Harley into your own driveway, you're now subject to a noise ordinance that you wow. didn't have on the public right-of-way. Interesting. And the noise ordinances are really ridiculous. I think for a while we lived in the mountains and there was a noise ordinance that was like anything over 60 decibels. That's, not That's that loud. nothing. I mean, you can't have a conversation at a restaurant under 60 decibels. You know? Yeah, that's it's, weird. It's pretty, that's pretty, weird. pretty low. And, um, you know, I got it. I understand. People are trying to keep the mountains beautiful and quiet and, you know, and that's great until like the latest Harley gang or Corvette run comes up the hill and, you know, wants to be in the middle of town. And there's some great, I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong here. The Ford Cobra was an amazing vehicle. 
20 of them coming into town at the same time is an experience you will not forget. It is a nope. sonic blast. Yeah. On the other hand, <laughs> you know, can't hear the birds of the waterfall. Oh God, no. No, I mean those those Harley engines too got those really sub low frequencies that you feel in your uh, your oh, whole they're, body. They're tuned so well. Yeah, know, they just, are. Oh. <laughs> it's it's that. That's what you want. Yeah, that's exactly what you're paying for with those what you things. Pay for it. Oh yeah. And I get it. That's so interesting. So I like, what are your thoughts on this, uh, how we're kind of going right now with like how we listen to music and, you know, these, that's like going back to these headphones that are almost feels like they're getting, and this is without my personal experience of listening to music through them, but it sounds like they're, it's like trying to get even closer to the source of the sound or the music where you're, 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 you're bypassing your ears and going like, directly into almost your brain it's like are we trying to almost eliminate some of the barriers to get to what you know like what is that what does that do to music in a way too jack in like the matrix kind of that's what it feels like right i suspect i don't have any uh, research on this and i'm not an expert but i suspect that like the cochlear implants that they use um that are actually listening devices that send a signal into the brain rather than through the ear are um, something like that. Mm. Um, it's, you know, the immersive experience of listening to music really loud in a dance hall or something like that. It feels good to me when I have my ear plugs in and, and I can remove almost all of the volume from it. I can just feel it. But um You know, I think what we really need to go here is toward education, because once you know a piece of music, like really know it, whatever, Pink Floyd, The Wall, pick anything. Once you really know it, you can have the experience without hearing it, if that makes any sense. Can you elaborate on that? So like you... Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the idea is, so um, once the music is inside you, your brain doesn't know whether it's listening to an external sound source or remembering the music. All that you, all that you need to do is trigger the memory. Right. They have the same experience of having heard it like as sound waves. Now, obviously it's not the same as if the, you know, the sound waves are hitting you at 120 decibels in a dance. Like you can feel your internal organs jumping around, you know, the, the sound pressure is not present, but your response. So, um, Part of what's fun about what I do is I get to teach people how to recreate that response so they can have it without the music. It's like having the effects of taking a drug without having to take the drug. And because the brain doesn't know the difference. The placebo. Yeah, right. That, that You've sort of trained yourself to have this response. And all you need to, to re-engage with that response is to remember the music. Um, I often ask people this question, like, what love song is present for you most of the time like that comes up because we have deep feelings about love right and it's not that like asking people what song scares you or anything so you feel love and often when i ask that somebody will say whatever the song and you can see their face change and you know that they've had that response to the song without having heard the song you know it's the memory almost of that song yeah it's like um attached to the song right like i uh, mean if you explain it neurologically it becomes very dry that you've basically neuroplastized yourself into that song so anytime you want it the response is it's like learning to play a piece of music right when you need to play it 
all of the thought goes out of it. You just repeat the muscle memory connected to the emotion. Is that like, um, remember with uh, Oliver Sacks's work? Yeah, yeah. Um, musicophilia, and I even see this in the documentary that he's in, where that catatonic um, guy with, uh, I think it's Alzheimer's, and um, can't even move. And then they play, they really look back and they're like, oh, his family gave a couple of songs that he used to play in a big, uh, maybe like New Orleans style band. And they played that and wow, like, animation it was yeah. like his he came to life and that it had to be a specific song we've talked about this on other episodes where it's so specific to the individual but when you hit it it's like resonant frequency i just did a yeah. a, a, a podcast on my other podcast ancient mysteries on earth about uh, acoustic and, so and sound levitation technology in ancient times nice and yeah and like what they were tapping into was resonant frequency we, we see the examples now with uh you know a singer sings and breaks the you know the champagne glass right that's right right that's finding the resonant frequency of a specific um molecule in a in a bridge in a glass in a person in a rock whatever it is and uh and then it brings it to life so it's almost like this memory associated with a particular song is in, in the same kind of way it almost like it hits this um less of a physical but a more uh, metaphysical resonant frequency with your soul with your memory something like that and then boom like all of a sudden it bypasses all these neurological disorders and and physical um challenges and all of a sudden this guy's dancing and he's smiling yeah. and he's singing and you're like what just happened it's called it's literal your, magic if you're following along at home it's called alive inside and it's a documentary you can find on youtube fantastic and Great. um thank you dr Sachs and the music therapists who got together to make this happen and I, I love the, the contrast that you pointed out here because it's so much more than one frequency, right? This guy is responding a, a, a memory care patient with no effect, like you've said. He's just like nothing. And then the music comes on. And he is responding holistically. Like he is back in time at that his, moment. He, you can see his face looks like he's 22 oh. again. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it's a way more than one frequency because it's a whole bunch of music. Like the music has animated him way beyond a single point of healing. You know, like if you were to look, use music to, or use a, use a frequency, I should be careful because we just did that series, right? Use a specific frequency for a specific purpose. This is way beyond that. This is like allowing an entire experience that's encapsulated inside to once again be played back on the body, right? So he's like, somebody pushed play on this very specific thing that let him re-experience the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes and the, you know, the movement and all of the stuff that was part of that experience has come flooding back in on him and suddenly he's in it. And there's no other way of saying it. He's in it, right? He's just... And he's living it. He's, he's like, he's, it. he's living it. Yeah. It's, 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 again, he's using the word animation because it's like yeah. as if someone has strings on his body and they're all of a sudden his body hasn't moved for God knows how many months or years. And then all of a sudden this song comes on, it's bzz, comes right to life like a puppet, yeah. right? With yeah. strings on it, all of a sudden able to move, dance, sing, laugh, smile, all these things are, I mean, goes back again to just the constant, this power, this unbelievable, almost sacred power of music that we're still unlocking on a scientific level. I know it's also interesting is that um, a lot of these, uh, 
you know, Buddhist temples and a lot of these um, much more ancient Eastern practices. I just learned this recently through some other research and they, um, they actually um, basically put a lot of their uh, artwork on their walls and on their, their murals and on their carpets on the floor. Uh, a lot of these, you'll see a lot of geometric patterns. They love um, sacred geometry and specifically just certain geometric patterns. And what I learned recently is those geometric patterns aren't random. They're actually representing specific frequencies that the monks want to remember so that they can sing those frequencies in different chants, et cetera, for, for, for different outcomes. And the geometry that they've uh, painted and, and, and sketched and, and made into different um, pieces of art that are visible, of course, that you can see uh, are depicting these different frequencies in, in different geometric shapes. And to me, it's almost like an even more ancient form of music notation or oh, maybe, sure. more maybe more specifically frequency notation, because yeah. it's not exactly a piece of music. You're seeing one frequency in the shape of whatever the geometric shape is, right? Yeah. But they were trained in a way to see a geometric shape and be like, oh, that's the ohm or that's the whatever, right? And then they can do that. They chant that. And if they get enough voices together, maybe they can have certain outcomes. I've seen um, incredible videos. I think we've talked about this in other episodes where these uh, monks, again, chant a tumor out of a woman and they have it on ultrasound and you can see in real time, the tumor literally going away and they're chanting something very specific and using intention and all these other things, belief, very important too, um, but nevertheless, very accessible. And then what I was just... Um, earlier today recording in, in another podcast was the acoustic levitation and these monks in Tibet would use these horns among drums and among singing and chants. And they put them very strategically with like, they measured like 63 meters from this one rock and they do it in a very specific angle, a circular angle around the rock. And then they all play at once. And within four minutes, they can levitate this rock up a mountain, 250 meters up the mountain. And that's how they would build stuff. And like, this is the crazy kind of ancient technology slash modern technology that we're rediscovering of uh, all of these powers of frequency, resonant frequency, sound, music, healing, bringing people literally back to life. I mean, it's yeah. it's just mind blowing. I feel like everything can, uh, as, te as Nikola Tesla says, everything can be reduced down to sound frequency vibration when it comes to anything. And so... What I'm excited about when, when you were talking earlier in the episode about um, this really cool technology of these amphitheaters and yeah, different yeah. forms of noise cancellation. I, for me, I get really excited about where we can go uh, on so many levels with like just sound and, and frequency and what we can do uh, with that in so many fun and so many healing and so many um, different ways, right? Do you think they uh, used any kind of sound levitation to build the pyramids? Oh, without a, without a doubt, without a doubt for me, it's the only way you can move, you know, uh, minimum eight to 10 ton blocks. If not uh, the larger ones that make up the great pyramid are upwards of hundred, 150 tons. Um, and also quarried a thousand kilometers away, somehow shipped up the Nile, then taken off the Nile and then brought up to the Giza plateau. And then not only that put into perfect precision, like laser cut precision, you can't fit a piece of paper between these blocks and uh, also perfectly aligned to, um, you know, nor, um, all the cardinal directions, yeah, different yeah. astronomical alignments, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. They use sound levitation. And um, I can send you a link we can put in the show notes for people to watch. There's a really cool 40 second video on YouTube that literally shows rocks being levitated using resonant frequency. 
Uh, and I'll send that to you, Bill, after we chat here, because I'm um, for those of you listening, it's like you want to know how the pyramids were built. Watch this video. You'll see it in two seconds. These pretty big rocks are getting boing, lifted up yeah. just off of these yeah. these big frequency generating devices. So, yeah, 100 percent. Also, um, on that note, I think sounds used for a lot of other things. I think they um, they figured out how to use sound to melt rock. So sometimes it's nice. like they may have they may have moved rocks with sound and levitation and and on top of that, they also may have learned how to create cement out of melting granite with sound and then pouring it into different shapes, which is another really interesting theory. I saw scoop marks when I was in the Aswan quarry, very south of e like the southern tip of Egypt. And the Aswan quarry has a really cool thing called the, um, the unfinished obelisk. It's uh, over a thousand ton, one piece of granite obelisk that cracked in the middle. Therefore, they didn't take it out of the quarry because it, it broke. And uh, you get to see underneath the obelisk they hadn't fully cut it out and the cut marks are like ice cream scoops wow. it's, it's it's going through granite which is harder than most substances in rock on this planet one of the hardest rocks there is and it's a perfect ice cream scoop so you're like they must have had some form of these tools that could with sound most likely melt and scoop rock like it's ice cream literally i mean this is what we can potentially do because when you're working with sound and resonance you, you're manipulating things on a molecular, small, like quantum level, which means you can literally do anything. That's I have crazy. this notion that it would take a lot of really heavy, large equipment to create that kind of sonic space. And if, if, a, if a civilization had that kind of equipment, they could have used that to do other things as well, but there's no evidence of that. So this has got to be much more fundamental. Yeah, I, I really wonder. I, I'm sure it's a variety of things. And I'm sure throughout time, we had different devices uh, that may have become a lot larger. I think we probably started off with small, really incredible stuff. And then maybe as we regressed a little as a civilization over thousands of years, we, <laughs> we got like you hear about the walls of Jericho being yeah. um, brought down by sound the, used in warfare. I mean, the military has Sazer technology and they use... They, which is the opposite of laser is focused light. It's, this is focused sound. Uh, you can use it for good and for bad. And this is the same for dispersing um, riots and, uh, and, and protests. Uh, the, lots of police now have sound devices that just give people like headaches or make them nauseous or, you know, do whatever makes them disperses the crowd. So, yeah, yeah I think um, a lot of that has existed throughout time and probably in many different iterations, the human voice certainly can also do it. And you oh get gosh, enough yeah. of them, enough of them together with one specific note that you're hitting, and who knows what's possible? Stuff can happen. Lots of stuff can happen. <laughs> so I can see myself as part of the, you know, the prehistoric choir that basically stands around and tones <laughs> to get granite to become scoopable or whatever it is. Well, you know? you're now you're part of the construction crew, not a musician anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. Or or a sound technician or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the odd thing about it is that the instruments that we do see in Egyptian uh, relics, hieroglyphics, stuff like that, it's not like they're that sophisticated looking instruments. No. So there's some other technology that's there that is not about making performance music or ceremonial music. There's some other technology, if it's sound related, it just doesn't ever show up. Maybe well, it was a and, pretty well-kept secret. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that potentially. But, uh, and I know, I'd say one of them is that um, 
the further back you go into history, for some reason, the more sophisticated a lot of the architecture gets. Right. And, yes. And it starts to lead you to wonder then, I guess, the further back in time, the more sophisticated the tools became. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we don't see them now because what we're seeing from Egypt was the Egypt of, oh, I don't know, 2000, 3000, 4000 years ago. And that's where you had maybe the more um, lesser advanced technology where you're seeing the instruments that look more traditional to what we have today. And, um, and then, you know, before that, maybe for another thousand, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 years ago, they were maybe more sophisticated, but through time, what, you know, water catastrophes, et cetera, war, uh, we all know that the victors of any conquering civilization love to get rid of everything that was before it. So how many times Egypt's been conquered so many times, one of the most conquered places on the planet, they've gone through so many different empires and dynasties. So it's no wonder there's not much left. I mean, the outer caps, ca- uh, the outer uh, casing of the Great Pyramid is completely gone. You only see yeah. remnants of that at the bottom. It used to be completely white granite. Yeah. It would have shone like a star. It would have been amazing. That'd with be a beautiful incredible. Yeah. Gold cap on the top that, of course, got melted down by, uh, you know, robbers and whatever. And long gone now. So I think a lot of it is just natural time. It gets rid of these things. But, oh, who knows? Maybe some private individuals i mean the thing that people don't know a lot about archaeology too is that there are tons of private collections a lot of museums that we go to publicly are actually borrowing collections from individuals wealthy families or just people in general who have collected these things for maybe uh, many 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 generations so what we don't even know is that there could be incredible stuff in someone's uh, you know backyard that we'll never uh, maybe see so <laughs> we'll never knows? find out about yeah, until it goes on YouTube or something. So, I mean, this this levitation stuff's really cool. I'll uh, like I said, I'll send you a, a link, and for those of you guys listening, check it out. It's pretty mind blowing, and it's just so cool to see yet again um, what can happen with sound and music. You think about when you're playing some of your dance music, and it vibrates the back window of your car, but only on a certain note, which is really cool. Yeah, that's res- that's resonant frequency. It's a fun rabbit hole to go down. Um, check it out. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I have been a particularly enthusiastic fan of boom cars Mm. even though a lot of people hate them because they're so loud (laughs) but what you can do inside a boom car is incredible uh, if you can survive it right if you can survive the experience (laughs) but to be able to create that deep of a vibration in your own body is the car is an ideal place for that because everything can be focused what's the what's the experience for the audience here of a boom car Oh, you just, you've heard him coming. You could, the, the thing here is the bass. Boom, boom. And as it gets closer, you'll hear other sort of sounds that are in that. If the windows are rolled down, you can hear the music pretty loudly. Uh, but it is a, it's, it's, it takes the sound bath idea to a whole new level. Because it's almost an assault by sound. <laughs> but it can be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, as you've pointed out, <laughs> demonstrating that kind of assault by sound in your own private living space is uh, often will, you know, lose friends and annoy people. But it's, it's definitely worth having. I mean, I suspect, Chris, that part of the reason we have these giant orchestras and stuff like that is people were trying to reconnect with some sonic experience that can only exist with a whole bunch of instruments before amplification. Or now, I mean, we got the wall of sound or whatever. There's so many ways of being able to experience that now that are, um, what I should, should I say, healthier. Although, you know, that rumbling, the air conditioning rumble, or yep. if you're living, working next to heavy machinery, 
there's a real destructive effect that can happen if that's just 24 seven part of what you're even during your working hours, if that's what's going on, that can really take things apart, um, you know, mentally. Yeah. It's, I it's mean, uh, high stress yeah. without, yeah. you know, really appearing to be as, oh yeah, I just do that's, that's the cement factory or whatever next door. Well, we can't see it and that, that, and we can't hear a lot of the things is like, you can hear the air conditioning, but you can't maybe hear all the frequencies coming from the air conditioning. You can oh, hear right, some yeah. of it. Yeah, and then, too low. then we can get in. Yeah. Like, you know, and our, of course our Wi-Fi and our Bluetooth and everything like that, these are all frequencies, you know, um, and they're not all great for our bodies. You know, they're not, we're, we're bathing in so many radioactive frequencies from all of our technology. Uh, we don't even know what it feels like to not be in them until we go on the you know, good old nature, get out of these uh, frequencies and get into nature. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm so calm. And oh my God, why am I not freaking out about <laughs> exactly and why do i feel so happy for no reason at all you know it's just taking the pressure off i used to feel that when i'd drive from the flatlands home to the mountains and there was a point where you get about a mile up and all of a sudden this burden just lifts yeah it's the mm -hmm. weirdest thing and it still happens if i go up to the mountains now that i'm aware of it every time i go up above a, a mile or so above whatever that translates to in kilometers forgive me um Two and a half, something like that. Something like that. When you get that high, physically, like you said, the burden just lives. And it's not mm. like you're hearing anything different. It's just like all of a sudden, all of the, the CPU cycles that you spend on blocking out the sound of the flatlands mm. are freed up to do something else. And I think what they do is basically nothing. And you just get this sense of elation of not having to work so hard just to, you know, breathe. I think we underestimate how awesome nothing can be, you know. <laughs> oh, I, 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 my grandmother told me this once, but her thing was music is the silence between the notes. But I think music mm. is just to prepare us for that silence. I love that. You know, more than anything else, its function is to give us something satisfying that we can say yes and then be in the, the silent moment that happens after. I love that. You know what that makes me think of is, um, and I do that. I've done this subconsciously for so many years, and I've only become more consciously aware of it recently. And when I'm uh, anywhere, um, a remote metropolis, or like, like right now, I'm staying in a small town two hours north of Toronto. It's uh, beautiful. It's quiet. It's exactly why I'm here. I love it. And um, when I'm walking on the trails and stuff, I really, very rarely have an urge to listen to music. I really don't. And I'm a musician. I love music, and I very rarely. I don't think I've even once yet since being here for the last two weeks. Now, I don't think I've ever listened to music going out on the hike, walking um, through the sort of quiet streets. But the second I get near the main highway, I'm happy to put headphones on, happy to put some music on, yeah. done immediately. And I know when I'm in the city, it's the same thing. Walking around most streets, I'll have my music, I'll have my earbuds in because I just much, much rather listen to music than the the roar, the dull roar of a city. But yeah. then I walk through a, a park, even in a city, I'm like, oh, I usually take my headphones out. I like hearing that. I like the sound of silence when it's a, a peaceful sound of silence. And it's funny that you say that, you know, it's like music can almost prepare you for that because I, I love that where when it's loud and noisy in a city, I, I want music to help me stay centered and, and kind of drown that out. But it's like it's preparing me for when I have the moment to just listen to the natural ambiance, the ambience of a, a nice space in nature or whatever it is. I'm the first one to be like, all right, headphones off, music off. Let's do this. Like, yeah, let's be the, the wind and the birds and the sound of a creek nearby or whatever. Like, I love that. So, you know, that old um, yoga prepares you for meditation. 
yeah. thing. And I've always wondered, what does meditation prepare you for? And I wonder sometimes <laughs> with like music, music prepares you for silence. What does the silence prepare you for? Right. It's metaphysical. (laughs) Let's get physical. Metaphysical. 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 (laughs) Well, I wonder. I wonder if that's preparing you for the next stage of existence after we pass out of these physical bodies into the next, you know, stage of of life uh, of other dimensions. Maybe that's because music is seems to be so in a way multi dimensional. They talk about, of course, in different cultures and and practices around the world in ancient times too, modern times of how to commune with the spirit realm with drumming big time around a fire, something about the element of fire is very good for bridging different worlds, spirit role, physical world. Uh, Music's very intricate and it plays a very important role with that tradition. I wonder if maybe it is uh, music and meditation could be preparing us for these uh, next dimensional experiences. I don't know. It's just a guess, but I don't know. Maybe. I, I haven't figured out what it prepares us for here. So I'm good with that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. One it's step, like, one thing first, Bill. <laughs> silence always seems to be a preparation for the noise that is to come. Right. And and it's, it doesn't seem fair. No. <laughs> you know, it's like we had this music and we had this concert and then, you know, there was this magical moment of stillness in the room. Thousands mm. of people were just like on the edge of their seat. thunderous applause you know it's it's funny you reminded me of a a concert i did in mexico about a month ago now and um, we did this really beautiful impromptu concert with uh, three um i would i want to call them conscious rappers because they're rapping about uh, mental health about empowerment oh right yeah consciousness all these beautiful things and it's nothing against the genre of rap i actually really love rap and hip-hop growing up in toronto really hard not to fall in love with it and um but usually the lyrics are pretty centered around materialistic, uh, misogynistic, you know, kind of not the greatest things usually that they're talking yeah. about. Beats are great, though. I love dancing to it and moving to it. It's fun. But um, conscious rap's really great because the messages are so empowering and beautiful. Anyway, we're doing the show and these guys are the, they also like in their day, day-to-day life um, do Vipassana meditation retreats. They do uh, breathwork uh, workshops. They're, they're all in that, um, let's say, uh, that sphere. And so at the show... It was the first concert I've ever been to where in between almost every single song was a moment to be like, they're like, okay, everyone, we're going to just take a moment of silence and breathe in. Perfect. Okay, breathe out. Yeah. All right. So this next song is about this, but like they would sync everyone up with their breath work in between each song. That's brilliant. And then they would set attention in between each person's set. You know, yeah. they would bring, they would do these little mini micro, like 30 second, one minute long meditations in between songs, sometimes during songs, sometimes it was so interesting how they completely like reshaped what a concert could be. And, and even a genre like hip hop and rap, like what that could become with these additions of like bits of breath, bits of meditation, but it's not a workshop. I would never have called that experience like, oh, come to my meditation thing. It's like, no, no, no. This was a concert. People I think moving. we, we got to do that more. Yeah. Like at, the, at the highest levels, I've been sort of wishing for this for a long time. But wouldn't it be great to work with, uh, so who's from San Diego? So Jason Mraz is from San Diego. He got started oh, in a coffee shop. Time. He has a big community spirit. Wouldn't it be great if someone at that level could introduce those sorts of practices into every concert that they do? And I think it's happening. You know, I even, what was Coldplay's last album? Music of the Spheres, I think was their last album. I mean, like already right there, they're talking about the ancient, you know, sacred geometry 
uh, and origins of life as through music, right? Music of the spheres, the ancient Greek, which I think was based off of ancient Egyptian knowledge. Um, I mean, they're pretty big and they're talking about that stuff. They're, what was their latest single? Something about the universe. I, I forget, but like, I mean, I, 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 I think they're tapping into that. They're very pop, you know? Um, yeah. So there's, I think it's happening. It's happening. You know? It's totally happening. Yeah. It's got to, because I mean, that's where we're moving as a society. Not to blow, not to blow our own horn here, but you know, <laughs> like you said at the beginning, musicians, artists, we're a bit more on the right brain side of the scale than your average bear. And once you understand that and realize that it's part of your art, you can't not talk about it. And it's not like you get up there and Coldplay is giving a lecture on neuroscience. But offering it as an invitation builds it into that thing where you can remember the music later. And guess what? You remember the music and you remember the intention. And those two things combined are really powerful. Yeah, extremely powerful. Intention is is huge with with the music. I mean, that's that's where you get the magic. And uh, we're moving into that. You know, I think as a yeah. society, I think I think. Um, a standard concert is start is going to start to become not enough for people. And I think that's okay. I think at the end of the day, music is still music and, and someone just playing a beautiful bit of guitar is always going to be a lovely experience or something like that. Don't get me wrong. But I think in a, in a sense of like what a lot of artists are going to start to look towards to enhance the concert experience is yep. to do these things that like they, it brings coherence and it brings connection. And it brings like when I've done these events there is such a high vibe energy. Now you get this after any good concert, don't get me wrong. Everyone's pretty buzzing after that. But um, when you do the extra modalities, like some, some intentional breath work, really quick little ones too. But even yeah. that, like, man, like we had, and we had all ages at our, our concert, we had kids uh, starting from probably like uh, eight or nine years old, a teen, couple of two teenagers, and then middle age all the way up to one woman was in their late seventies. And, um everyone was meditating when we when we got them into it everyone was breathing when we got them into it and by the end like we were all literally just high off of life force <laughs> energy like it yeah. was uh it was really magical so imagining a stadium kind of you know experience with that type of show i mean who wouldn't want to not only be a part of it but as the uh, artist and like the curator like who wouldn't want to be the one leading that and that'd be wicked <laughs> right right and you know Musicians kind of do that anyway without knowing all the ins and outs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bigger the star. So I would love to be able to hear McCartney, you know, like before yeah. he's no longer performing. But I, I can imagine that at a concert like that, people come with an intention already. Like they've already Definitely. prepared to receive this amazing music. It's not like you're going to hear a concert by somebody that you know is good, but you never heard before, or doesn't yeah. have the 50 year history that McCartney has or 60 year history he has now, maybe it's longer, mm -hmm. but you know, you go with that preparation already in place. It's like preparing for a mushroom trip. Yeah, pretty much. Right. And I, and I hear his concerts. He does a lot of storytelling, which I love. Tons of stories. And then yeah. afterwards you're talking about it. So afterwards you're integrating the whole experience into your life. You know, I remember when I first heard this and Paul played it that night, it was like this and whatever it's and, and the whole integrative experience that changes us permanently happens just naturally with that stuff that's beautiful and it can happen everywhere any anytime there's music right it can happen like you proved in, in mexico oh it yeah happen there right oh yeah it literally, it literally can and, and i what i love is for the the, the young generation to uh, and it's just for everyone all ages of course but what i can see it doing with um these kids you know is is almost making them um already aware that music can be so much more than just listening to a cool tune which is great 
but it can be so much more and to integrate it with these other modalities. Like, sure, we can dance to music, but you can breathe to music. You can meditate to music. Oh, yeah. You can do some deep introspection to music. You can do all of it. You can do music healing. You can do sound healing. You can do like, wow, what a what an amazing array of things. And, and again, as a student, as a young kid, when you got your exams or you got whatever you're working on at school, you can listen to binaural beats and you can enhance your you know cognitive abilities. Too. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, holy cow, it's, it's literally it, endless. It's legal. It doesn't involve AI. And uh... <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I had a friend send me a song written by AI and I was a little scared. I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> I was playing around with chat GPS because same reason. So I said, I asked ChatGPS, you know, write me a poem um, that includes a paradox and concrete imagery. And it took less than two seconds. And it was back with a four stanza poem with a couplet at the end. It rhymed. It was everything was fine except for one verse, which I complained about and which it immediately offered me some alternatives for. <laughs> wow. 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 And wow, it was wow. an, I mean, it was an okay. If somebody in high school had been asked to write a poem or maybe even college, they would have come up with something like this. <laughs> You know, it was, it was pretty impressive. It's on Facebook. Anybody's following me, go see it there. It was a goofy thing, but um, I, I've decided that AI is good. And you want to know why? Why? Because AI means there's no more excuses for stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't argue with that. You know, we're already being outsmarted by them. So we got we got to up our game. So now we got to up our game, man. You know, if, if, if you're having <laughs> trouble determining which side of reality is real, we got chat GPS right here. <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy therapy theory. Run it through chat GPS. It'll let you know. It'll yeah. let you know. Although that doesn't take anything away from the joy that we all experience with a guy like Representative Santos, who's fabricated his entire life and is just taking it to the bank right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it goes back to anything. It's like, how are we using it? Right. And I think AI can be so beautiful, how, depending on how we use it and so destructive again, depending on how we use it. It's yeah. the, are you creating data from Star Trek whose only desire is to help humanity? Or are you creating the Terminator? Yeah. So, so what are you going to do? It's up to us. <laughs> it, and you know what? It's, it's a really good point. And, you know, not to end on a dark note or anything, but one of the difficulties that we have is our technology is moving so fast that to use it takes almost no skill but to co-opt it to do something dark or nefarious is the opportunity, you know, that a lot of people see, Oh, this thing is so cool. I can use it for, you know, some crazy purpose. Yeah. And we're in this place of fascination with that, where it's like the crazy purpose is more fun or something or more sexy than, than using it for good. And that's a tough line. Civilization has probably walked before. I would, I'm thinking now of the technology that built the pyramids or the yep. whatever it is that lets people scoop an ice cream sized, you know, perfect sphere out of a piece of granite. Yeah. Um, you know, what happened to that technology? Did people decide what happened it was to that? Too what happened to that civilization? You know, and that's not here anymore, right? So, they're gone. So um, you know, modern people take take a note. And um, and do your homework because if silence is what prepares you for what's coming next, we're always getting closer to what's coming next, right? So uh, let's go I, there with uh, some good tools. I agree, I agree, and I and I just think my last thought on that is, you know, you're right. Technology is moving unbelievably quick, exponentially, and what needs to catch up 
I would say even less than our own intelligence, because I think we're extremely intelligent. If anything, we just got to move some of the barriers that kind of dumb us down. But we're very, very smart, um, uh, naturally, I would say. Yeah. Um, but what we need is to expand and enhance our consciousness so that it is on par with the rate of expansion of our tech. So if we've got a larger, if we've enhanced our consciousness, and what I mean by that is just becoming more self-aware, more introspective, more aware of reality, yourself, how we operate as emotional, multidimensional beings, just coming more into those states of understanding is really what I mean by that. But with that in mind, you understand your place in the universe better. You understand that we're all connected. All of these isms and division tactics dissolve immediately. We all understand that we're connected and there's a beautiful love of a bond of love between everything, everyone. Uh, with that level of consciousness, I think we'll be way better equipped to handle AI and all this technology. I think that's the thing that needs to shift so we can be in harmony with it rather than, like you said, our more fascination with what, how can we screw people over, kill things or whatever. Like it's kind of the sort of kindergarten level of consciousness that we're at yeah. still as a species that we just need to get a little bit higher grade one, two, three, four would be nice. And, um, and we can do that and that can happen exponentially just like our technology. So I, I think that there's still a lot of hope for that. Yeah, and, and I see that happening a lot too. I know you do as well. The, yeah. the whole thing of expansion of consciousness during and after the pandemic is really going in a beautiful way. It is. And the the death of the old ways of thinking is also going in a beautiful way. You know, we can see media clinging desperately to subscribers who only will purchase things that are bad. Yep. Uh, you know, people are walking away from that stuff oh, and towards something right. else and... and um, you know, go people, right? Because that's us. That's our future. Uh, just one aspect of that, which is really curious to me is, you know what the most sort of explosion of music is in Gen Z right now? What? There's a genre that's just taking off. Classical music. Really? Gen Z is all over classical music. And and what, what age is that just for myself? Oh, Gen Z. So uh, roughly before 2000, is that right? Or is it? No, it's after 2000. Okay. Now those are millennials, so uh -oh. this would be I don't know, born twenty ten and up, maybe. Okay. Okay. Something like right. that. So thirteen I, year olds, you know. Yeah, yeah, teenagers right now. Teenagers, okay. Or they're like they're like in the so. I'm not Wait saying here. I'm not comparing any kind of a thing here. It's just that's interesting to me. You know? I love that. That's like, awesome. They're not going into rap or I mean they're going to all music because you can get it all, but classical music is taking off. And, and and go classical music, right? Because there's richness in there that doesn't exist anywhere else. It's a genre, just like all the others. But it's a genre that's been unexplored recently, and all of a sudden it's back. So, yeah. you know. And there's lots of new, of course, neoclassical. Oh, there's incredible. My genre. I just love oh, that. It's yeah. such a rich field. Yeah. So I, I have all this hope. I share your hope with this. It's, it's, I don't feel like I'm fighting a losing battle. No. Even though we're probably a long way from musicians being paid like doctors and lawyers, uh, at least yeah, no, some of them, we'll I mean, but we'll we're, it's common, right? I think with the psilocybin um, side of things and how that's really expanding in the health um, world and the research is, is getting more and more concrete. And the, the role that music plays in that is one of the, I think, great examples yeah, of how we're so going to be regarded in um, other industries as really sought after uh, experts, you know, in um, these different areas where, I mean, I'm, I'm literally being paid to, to do that in different, with different clients for binaural beats, sound, different frequency uh, pieces, uh, you name it. Like 
I'm getting more and more of a niche going because uh, that's what's needed. That's what's coming. That's what's in demand. And uh, that's a great sign. You know, we're really moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah. I, I have hope for society, for civilization. I really do. Me too. Yeah. I really 100%. do. 100%. So that goes to you listeners out there. We have hope in you. We, we have faith yes. and hope in, in you guys listening. So, and everyone else, of course. <laughs> it, whether or not you're listening, we have hope in you too. We do. Exactly. But we especially have hope in those of you who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's our level of consciousness. We're speaking to you. We're speaking to you guys. So yeah. Um, yeah. And and thanks for, uh, thanks everybody for listening. And um, it's been such a pleasure doing this podcast. I feel like it's been my own like expansion of these topics and my right, own consciousness yeah. has really elevated just talking to you, Bill and, and our, our great connection. And of course, then bringing it together with this almost like a Trinity of the two of us, and then expanding it to our listening audience creates like a nice sort of three Trinity, you know, um, symbiosis where we can learn and grow together and, uh, and, and feed off of each other. And that's the way it should be with, uh, with humans. We're great in community and that's, you know, that's what we're building here. So, you know, yeah. we love hearing from you guys, of course, feel free to always uh, send us a message the links for that are of course in our description um show notes and all that good stuff and hit up bill for uh any uh you know music um applications in your life that you might need he's amazing with that and if you need to listen to any healing frequencies you can check out my youtube channel and on all that good stuff or as we say in a lot of these episodes you know go on your own journey of discovery and see what you can find and please let us know let us know what you find we'd love to feature it in some of our episodes definitely it owes to that all of the above. All also. of the above. <laughs> and, and just to add my thanks, because you're right about this. Having the conversation is so key. And there's a lot of stuff that I've learned here and a lot of things that I've changed or tweaked about what I think about things. And that results from the relationship and the conversation that you and I have, Chris. And mm. if you're out there listening to this or if you're in a place where you're like, let's, you know, let's investigate this stuff. Make some time to have like a regular conversation with someone that you trust, that you value, whose opinion matters to you, and just see where the conversation goes over time. Because it's, it's very therapeutic. It's really therapeutic and mind expanding and awareness expanding. And um, and who knows where that kind of stuff can lead, right? I just heard a friend sent me, I have a friend that we we message very regularly on WhatsApp and they're like little journal entries. We really can just let, we let a lot of things out. Yeah, very like close, that, close right? Friends. It's like that. And he sent me today, literally, it's funny we mentioned this. He sent me a excerpt from something. I don't know what it was for. He sent me an audio excerpt from, sounds like some expert talking about uh, the, the effects of journaling, which you all know is very, very beneficial. And then they went on to mention, they're like, you know, what's really helpful is if you just have someone that you can talk to on a regular basis, like a good friend who you can have this, like just getting all these things off your chest or exploring ideas with this other person and they don't even have to respond. You can be sending like a voice note, for example, on WhatsApp and they don't even necessarily need to respond. And they've done these studies where it shows like even just the emotional and cognitive levels are improving just by that expression to another human, knowing that someone else is going to inevitably maybe receive it and, and, and feedback. And even if they don't, there's still benefits to that. So um, I know what I've experienced with you, Bill, and, and doing this podcast has been extremely uh, fun, but also very healing and therapeutic and expanding. Yes. 
And this all started from us connecting on Zoom, you know, <laughs> literally crazy, having yet huh? to meet in person. I hope that yeah. changes one day, but uh, better, man. You're headed to Europe, and uh, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to shift this around sometime. So yeah, uh, it's I'm gonna sure. it'd be great to do an episode together uh, in the same location one, one day. One day we'll do it. We'll do. In the meantime, it. thanks for sharing the digital space. Yes, you too. because uh, because it's all about relationship. You know, relationship first. Start with that and everything else changes. Oh, thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Mm-hmm.